Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. Uh, this is Arun Sudharman from The Homes Report, uh, and we are very lucky to be joined in the show today by Lara O'Reilly, who is Global Advertising Editor at Business Insider. Lara, welcome to The Echo Chamber. Thank you very much. Um, so we met a couple of months ago and um, at a, a, a small conference in Switzerland. Uh, and I was interested in your take on some of the things that are happening in the advertising industry. Uh, I suspect perhaps the issue that is, is, is attracting a lot of attention right now is ad blocking, which sounds like one of those really kind of kind of classic advertising issues that really interests just the trade, but seems to be now becoming more of a mainstream issue. Uh, it was initially described as uh, an old-fashioned extortion racket by Randall Rothenberg, president of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. I think a Tory politician has weighed in yesterday and, and described it as a protection racket. Yeah, John Whittingdale, the culture secretary. Right. Um, he didn't have very nice words to say about. So Adblock Plus, which is owned by IO, which is probably one of the most popular or at least the most well-known ad blockers, they have an interesting revenue model whereby uh, they have this thing called an acceptable ads Mm-hmm. Uh, program and big companies, um, and they're defined by uh, kind of page views and revenue. Um, but it's kind of ten percent of the companies that appear on this kind of white list that allows some ads to go through the ad right. blocker as long as they fit kind of certain standards. They're not interruptive. They don't pop up. They don't do too much by way of tracking. Yeah. Um, so these companies, so Google, uh, mm-hmm. there's Critio, who's a uh, an ad, ad tech firm. Taboola, mm. another ad tech firm, Amazon, various other kind of big companies, they pay IO to appear on this list. Um, their ads don't get blocked. Basically. Their ads don't get blocked. They have to go through a kind of process. Adblock Plus says, you know, they've only got a company that, that consists of about 80 people. So, um, mm. you know, it takes some time to do this. Therefore, they need to be compensated. You know, they have servers and so on. That's their um, the way they kind of. Uh, <laughs> well, they dress it up. Yeah, it's the way they dress it up, yeah. The way they make it look like it's not a protection record. Well, I, the thing is, I don't, I don't think it is. That right. they, you okay. know, they, um, they're a, they're a profit making business. They, right. ad, ad blocking in its kind of crudest form was a kind of open source code that mm-hmm. um, it was actually originally invented by a guy uh, who was, I think, in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a distraction project from university. He didn't want to do his university work, so he started um, working on this kind of ad blocking code. And it was so it was very crude. It only blocked kind of certain formats. But then it was picked up by the open source developer community and, and mm. kind of grew and grew organically from there. Mm. Um, the problem being is that so many ads are created all the time, so many so many lists are created all the time that um, it's quite an arduous task to keep these things up to date. There'll always be ads that kind of slip through. Mm. So the idea is if you have um, a company, a limited company who sold businesses to um, keep this up to date and, and make sure the technology is working, um, they need something in, in order to be able to compensate their, their workers. And, and this was the approach they took. The other mm. approach is you need to take uh, donations or mm. you need to, um, if not donations, you, know, you need to pay some sort of subscription in order to, to, to use your ad blocker. As you can imagine, that's not as popular as the free service that takes two seconds to download and um, you know yeah. adds a block immediately on your browser. Yeah, and that's the interesting point here, isn't it? I mean, despite what 
what the media companies are saying and, and so on. Adblock Plus is really popular with consumers. It's obviously filling a need. Yeah, well, I think, uh, and some of the advertising community have kind of admitted this as well, mm-hmm. perhaps digital advertising went a little bit too far. Mm. Um there's certain sites you go on, and particularly if you're using Adblock Plus, so you can actually see um, in real time in the top right corner how many ads are being blocked. There can sometimes be kind of 20 ads and tracking, and it takes 10 seconds for a page to load, and you just wanted to read a 300-word news article. Mm-hmm. It's annoying, it's invasive, um, particularly if you're on mobile, for example, that's using up your data allowance that you pay for mm. with ads that uh, you didn't pay for, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't uh, request Mm. Everyone understands there's a trade-off. Mm. Uh, most content online is free, therefore some sort of transaction has to take place. If you're not registering, then you know you can't. Most people will accept that a banner ad or you know a, a pre-roll video ad is kind of okay. But it's when advertising overstepped the line that, that I think a lot of consumers went. Hold on a second. Let's see if I can have some control over this. Mm. Sure. So maybe the digital media or the media companies went a little bit too far in terms of the ads that were being served up to people. Um, how, how are the media companies uh, responding to the rise of Adblock Plus? I mean, you've written on this a lot, and it's one of the reasons why we, we invited you in today. Um, I think in, in one of your articles you said you, you attended a, a secret um, Adblock meeting. Sounds Sounds really exciting. It sounds um, kind of ominous, doesn't it? It was yeah. a secret meeting held in an underground cellar of a hotel. Wow. Um, so they held they so Adblock Plus uh, or IO the parent company that owns Adblock Plus mm. they dubbed this meeting Camp David so it was meant really? to be there's the, absolutely no hyperbole <laughs> there the, the, you know so this was this was peace talks between yeah. uh, Adblock Plus and the advertising and kind of publisher oh, right. community okay. um, they held their first event well their, their first kind of Camp David event uh, a few months back in in New York, and they wanted to do one with European publishers as well. Not least because they wanted to speak to kind of European uh, policymakers and lobbyists, because um, you know the EU and and America look, look at things like privacy and particularly e privacy a little bit differently. Um, so yeah, I can't say much about it. I can just I can't say who oh, was really? there. Oh. Um, there was I mean there was probably say twenty five people there, ranging from. Um, kind of advertiser trade groups, journalists like myself, privacy lobbyists, uh, people who work for the kind of ad tech companies. Conspicuous in their absence were advertising agencies. uh, And that was one of the first things that was mentioned. Uh, Why aren't these guys here? They create Mm. the ads. Um, But the idea was to thrash out. So what we were talking about earlier, so the the kind of the way that um, Adbook Plus is is paid, is through this acceptable ads policy. The problem is, is that Adblock Plus at the moment is policing what is or what isn't an acceptable ad on the mm. internet. And I guess rightly, the advertising publishing community have said, hold on a second, you know, who gives you the right to be the arbiter of what is a good or, or bad ad? So they stepped back and they went, okay, right, we'll we'll form an independent committee. Mm. And, the, and the committee is... Um, is hopefully going to be made up of all the kind of representatives that I talked about that were at the meeting. So from every kind of side of the of the advertising coin, every, everyone that sits in between, um, you know, the the reader and and the the kind of marketer themselves, all of those kind of people, myriad um, kind of people that that sit in between the ad tech companies, ad, ad agencies, and so on. Mm. Um, and they can drive down what is or what isn't an acceptable ad. And some of that is about format. Some mm. of that is about tracking. Some of that's about 
um, you know, targeting and data. Some of it's simply about context. Um, so it's meant to be an independent committee. It will be, um, they're, they're currently looking at how it will be kind of funded. Will it be kind of have non-profit kind of mm. charity status that, that they, they're trying to iron those details out? But the idea was to get everyone together and chat about how this is going to happen. Um, now, obviously, when you sit 25 people around a table, uh, these things don't uh, <laughs> kind of get resolved straight away. And there was a little bit of kind of animosity at first. I think, you know, you were talking about, um, it, you know, these ad blockers have been described as extortionists and, uh, you know, mafia-like kind of networks by the, you know, highway robbers, by the way that they, yeah. they kind of set up these toll booths on the internet and they're taking away our revenue kind of you know, uh, let me fetch my kind of small violin. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, so people were asking, you know, what is your business model? And, mm. you know, since then, Adblock Plus have put out more kind of blog posts explaining exactly how they get paid. They still don't mention exactly who it is that pays them, uh, which rubs some people up the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, they've said, you know, these are the types of companies, but mm. not necessarily these are the companies. Why, why are they not? Revealing that, uh, well, plenty of com- have to. plenty of companies don't reveal who their customers yeah, sure. are. Um, yeah. You don't have to put a client list out there, um, mm. and you know it, some customers might not feel comfortable with yeah. with that information being public. Yeah, sure. Mm. Okay, it, what's the alternative here for the media companies um, if AdBlock Plus is going to block their ads? How um, how do they make money? <laughs> On mobile, so I mean, there's there's lots of alternatives. So, so I mean, one thing you, I mean, you mentioned mobile, for example. Mobile mm. ad blocking is nowhere near as prevalent mm-hmm. as as desktop ad blocking. Oh, okay. So, right. um, it you have to do kind of like a hacky workaround to make right. a lot of the the mobile ad blocking apps work. You have to change your settings and stuff like that. It's annoying. Mm-hmm. So most people don't do it. Um, mm. Google doesn't allow ad blocking apps into. The Play Store, for example, right. you can only download ad blocking browsers. Mm. I don't really want an ad blocking browser. I just want Chrome. You know, it's, mm. it's easy. I know how it works. It's the standard mm. app. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. Mm. Most publishers, uh, you know, more than fifty percent of their readers are, are entering on mobile. So less of a concern there. I mean, what some publishers are doing is taking the kind of hardball approach. So. Forbes is probably the most quoted example. You try to visit Forbes with an ad blocker or refuse to let you in unless you whitelist the site. And when you whitelist the site on your ad block, it's really easy to do. You just to mm. say it's like two clicks and you disable so it. So the user does it. So yeah. the user it, it forces mm. them to do that otherwise they can't they can't see the content. Mm. And then it promises them an ad light experience after they uh for for kind of ten days uh after they turn off their ad blocker. Mm. Um I'm not sure whether Forbes' definition of an ad light experience kind of matches what my idea would be. Uh, that right. When I did that, there, there was, quite, you know, obviously only for research purposes. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I thought there were quite a lot of ads there, but um, yeah. hey, that's that's my opinion. So City AM, for example, they they do kind of another kind of hardball approach where yeah. they ask you to turn off your ad blocker, so you can get into an article. So you click on something from Twitter, for example. Yeah. You see the headline, the main image first paragraph and then underneath everything's kind of blurred out right and it, again okay. tells you switch off your ad blocker and you can you can see the rest okay some people don't like that hardball approach they think especially with news being so kind of commoditized on the web mm. that it's just too easy to click away and never come back mm-hmm. um, right so publishers are a little wary of the, right. asking people to take that step sure and also there's kind of 
they're not technically perfect. You can kind of turn yeah. it off and on the original welcome screen and then turn it back on again once you're in. Wow. Um, <laughs> they, it's, You've it's, got all the hacks, man. It's, it's, got... hard, it's hard to do. <laughs> right. um, but I think ultimately what uh, Acceptable Ads did and what IO did with Acceptable Ads and this idea of um, you have to kind of pass a certain um, kind of threshold or you know you have you have to reach these these certain standards before we'll we'll let your ads through mm. is it opened up a huge conversation about what is and what isn't an acceptable ad on the internet what what have we been doing wrong what is it mm. that consumers will feel happy with because by and large as i said most people are quite happy with that trade off most people accept that if i watch tv uh, I'm likely to see an ad. Yeah. You know, I, I know where those where those points in the program come. And okay, yes, there's there's the kind of original web blocking, getting up and making a cup of tea, or um, with with DVRs, you know, you can fast forward the ads. But most of the time, people do actually sit there and watch them. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it, they may well be looking at their phone or whatever, but mm-hmm. they're they're kind of present in the same way that they're present on a web page. You may not be paying your full attention to them. Mm. So, but anyway, I, th- I think what it did was it opened up a huge conversation about what an acceptable ad actually is, and mm-hmm. what you're seeing now, and what you're seeing coming out of um, the IAB, particularly in the UK, they're enforcing kind of, not enforcing, but they're rolling out kind of new principles for for mm. what a good ad online looks like, and I think people are stepping back, and publishers are, are noticing what the lag time is on their websites, for example. Mm. It's just opened up a, a conversation about what acceptable advertising is, and that's actually a good thing it's it's made people actually think about their end user as opposed to how much can we squeeze out of this one web page how much can we track how much data can we sell on it's mm. more it's more kind of like what what's the reasonable level that we can achieve before we annoy our consumers so much that they'll never come back yeah, and right. that's probably a better way of looking at things mm. how are the agencies taking all of this because presumably this is you know it's a it's a it's a big concern for them as well so I think at the moment, the the publishers seem to be taking this in the neck far more than the agencies are. I think agencies are certainly concerned, and ad blocking levels um, are going to be a worry for you know any anyone in 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 this business, whether you're on the publisher side, you know buyer or seller kind of thing. You're you're going to be concerned about the level of ad blocking because it's something else you need to think about. It's another barrier to entry. Mm. Um, I think agencies are listening very closely to what the IAB are saying about what the acceptable standards for advertising are. Mm. But I think also uh, it's it's making agencies a bit more creative again because you're mm. not thinking about little rectangles that you can put on a page and how you can kind of slice and dice the same bit of creative to fit in these kind of two-by-one formats. Mm-hmm. It's okay then if people don't like banners, if people don't like pop-ups and pre-rolls, what do people like? What what does native advertising look like? What how do I mm. think about uh, you know a a video ad that sits in the stream, perhaps not not a pre roll, but how you know how, what does a, a video ad that sits halfway down the page look like that right. a consumer can skip? It they it's allowed them to become more creative about formats, I think, and I think also on the on the kind of data mm. and and tracking side, I think it's just made it's just made everybody more aware that you can't just keep squeezing and squeezing this thing and thinking that more revenue will mm. pour out because eventually you're going to get a backlash from consumers. So it's almost like a wake-up call for better marketing. It has. Own. It has. And most so every panel session that you see on ad blocking mm. at the moment that's that's 
you know the 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 kind of resounding um noise that you're hearing from from every part of the community is yeah we've we've now realized there is a problem and mm-hmm. it's up to us to resolve it it's not about trying to work out these because there's there's things like this technology you can use like ad blocker blockers and all all of these kind of things and I, and I don't think most people don't think that's the answer I think it's mm. more about let's just make advertising that consumers love again because consumers love ads actually you, mm. you don't think you do but everyone remembers the brilliant ads everyone remembers yeah. like the Guinness Surfer ad sure. people talk about the Super Bowl till the cows come home mm. people actually do interact with ads on Facebook. People do buy things from from Facebook ads. If, ad, if ads are good, um, they, they, they become yeah. a cultural, mm-hmm. you know, they, they become a cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need to strive to do as opposed to just, again, how can we just rinse as much revenue out of a web page as possible? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's maybe a good development if it's going to um, impact all of the, I suppose, so-called bad advertising that people are getting on on digital on, on online or or on some mobile devices as well. Yeah, I think so and I think it for, you know for some people um I think it's a shame because the the kind of great premium publishers and and the you know the great agencies and ad tech companies that are actually doing really good work are kind of being uh, lumped into one yeah. bucket with these uh you know the horrible retargeting that for the holiday that you already bought that follows you around the internet for like three weeks after you got back kind of thing <laughs> or um yeah. you know when the the autoplay videos that suddenly pop up and take over your entire screen like that kind of thing it, you know it's, it's not a catch-all but it's uh, a lot of the a lot of the time the conversations being treated like that one, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a wake up call, and you know ultimately it, it's a good thing. You need these kind of marks in the stand every now and then yeah. to step back and realize, God, were we actually were we actually doing that? You'd, you'd hope in five years' time people will look back and just say the world is online you know, with online advertising is a totally different place and it's better for it as a result. Mm, interesting stuff. So. Let's move on a little bit because you you've been covering the global advertising world and industry for a while now. Uh, yeah, a little while. <laughs> a while, um, and I've I've been following some of the the some of your coverage, and I noticed that you you ran quite an interesting interview with uh, Publicis Group CEO Maurice Levy recently. Um, I thought that was it was fascinating because there seems to be a lot happening. At Publicis Group, and I'm I'm interested in your take that they, you know, for years there's always been this question about well who will succeed, um, Maurice Levy. That seems to to maybe there's a there's a, a sign now of, of who will succeed him. Uh, there's been a fairly dramatic restructuring mm. of the group's operations. There's been talk that you know maybe it's an acquisition target. There was of course the failed merger with Omnicom. So quite a lot of things there, but. I mean, how do you see the progress of, of publicism? Was there anything that maybe that came out of your interview with, with Maurice that, that you found interesting? Um, it's always interesting speaking to Maurice. He's mm-hmm. um, he's incredibly charismatic and he has a view on everything, which as a journalist is fantastic because yep. uh, he's, he's got lots of sound bites, which is useful. Mm. Um, so it's been a kind of rocky few years for, for publicists. Mm. I mean... I think it, a lot of it stems, I mean, it probably stems back even further, but from since I've been covering the group anyway, that the failed merger with, with mm. Omnicom 
uh, Maurice admits himself it distracted the group, it distracted him personally. Yeah. And they had a, a, a torrid time um mm-hmm. in in the quarters following that and they and they fully admitted it. They you know they took their eye off the ball. Mm. Um now you have a huge restructuring mm. which restructures can never be kind of taken lightly because it requires a hell of a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, you're shifting people into different places. Um, I think I, I, I spoke to Martin Sorrell also about the publicist re- mm. restructure. Well, he's very positive about publicists oh, yes. in general, <laughs> I, I find, you know. <laughs> he's, he's so kind towards them. Um, so he thinks it's, he thinks it's a distraction uh, mm. basically and, he he invited me to think what that might be a distraction from, but um, I mean, look, you've got Maurice says he he'll step down next year. Mm. Um, finally, uh, whether he actually will, I don't know, but he promises this time he'll definitely definitely be be retiring next year. Mm. Um, and he told me he's looking forward to it. He's looking forward to reading and spending more time with his family. And do you believe um, him? Uh, I kind of do because he seems mm. like the kind of person that that never stops. Yeah. And, you know, when when you get to uh, seventy, I, I imagine that becomes quite wearing. Mm. Um, so, where you everybody's got this in the back of your mind, right? You've got your kind of your talisman, um, who's going to be leaving in a year's time, and then you've got a successor. Who knows who it will be? It looks like they've um, there's, there's a shortlist now. Bookie's favourite is probably Artur Sadoun. Artur Sadoun, indeed. Yes, he seems to be the presumptive nominee. It's like the kind of logical fit, right? Mm. He 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 seems like uh, yes, he he seems odds-on favourite. Mm-hmm. So, as with you know, it's 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 the same with any company, and and a new CEO comes in, they want to make an impact immediately. They they want to set out a new plan, but then you've got this this restructure being bedded in, which will apparently it will only take six months, we're told, but yet not. All of the positions have been filled yet. So when did they announce that? Back in November, was it? Yeah, October? So I think so. Kind of, they had yeah. their big meeting in, 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 in New York and then they announced it yeah. after that, right? So, and it's a kind of, it's it's complicated and mm. there's kind of, you know, there, there's the four heads of um, communications and healthcare and sapient. Mm. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, it's, it's, is it not media? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's media. Yeah, yeah, it's media. And then you've got kind of Laura Desmond overseeing all of yeah, them. And then right. there's each country has committees. Yeah, that's what I don't quite get it completely. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been focusing on publicist communi- communications. I'm not going to say it with a French accent. <laughs> Should we just say publicist? And just like, let's stop struggling. <laughs> stop pretending. Um, but yeah, it, it it's not... It kind of makes sense on one level that they're trying to... Um, to have a, a country head for publicist communications, mm. but then each of the brands is, is reporting into that country head of publicist communications rather than reporting into their global brand head, which yeah. is what it used to be. It's quite a big departure, quite a big change, and, and pushing everything to work together in a more integrated fashion. Obviously, it seems to make sense given yeah. the way the world is going, but I'm curious to, to know whether you think, um, given the amount of pain involved in doing this, uh, Realistically, what what are the chances of success here? What does do you think maybe what does success look like here? Yeah, it's so difficult to say. And also, I think separating Sapient out into a separate mm. group, but then 
the idea of sapience when so when you talk to Maurice, obviously the huge acquisition, um, which in itself has taken time to bed in. But when mm -hmm. you talk to all the other agencies as well, when they go into pitch, so I mostly speak to the kind of media agencies and creative right. agencies. So I'm on a, a kind of different side yeah. to you, but they they go in with uh, you know one of their colleagues from Sapient. You know, right. Sapient is, has become part of the office. Yeah, Sapient's become a huge part of the business. Mm. And so if the idea is integration, then it's kind of weird that that's still a separate yeah. kind of entity. It should sit uh, in some sense into... Yeah, well, you could say the same about media as well. Right, really. I yeah. Mean. I mean, it's... I don't know. It, it's... It, a lot of it can be... It can be boiled down to kind of rhetoric and yeah. uh, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, the... The the proof ultimately is in the work and is in winning accounts. Yeah, and, and that hasn't the been, problem with yeah, <laughs> with publishers this year and particularly yeah. on the media side is they've lost several big accounts. They've lost yeah. PNG. They've retained yeah. little bits of PNG, but they've lost the big US media business. They've mm. uh, you know they've they've lost several. You know they they, they won more accounts than they lost, but on mm. a kind of billings um, basis. They were uh, they, it's gone the other way. So while they won kind of Citibank and Coty and. Kraft Heinz, they lost uh, Coke, they lost L'Oreal to mm. uh, WPP, they lost Mondelez, General It's, you know, the, 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 those are, I mean, P&G being the biggest one, that those are huge accounts. And yeah. so even though P&G, I think it only accounted for maybe 1% of, uh, so P&G US accounted for like 1% of revenue, I believe. In the, it, so it's not, in the grand scheme of things, uh, yeah. a huge loss. Uh, but it is from a, from a mental point of view, yeah, from when you, when you set up entire groups and agencies to service mm. one client, and then what happens to those people? Yeah, and they lost to a competitor, which is you know, yeah, it's 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 a kind of reminder that someone else has won, um, and I suspect Maurice doesn't enjoy that particularly. Oh, although no, that's the that's the name of the game yes, in this yes, business, isn't it? It's uh, but it's yeah, um, it's tough. You you, you talked about the media reviews, uh, media palooza, as I think it's been referred to. Um, yeah, media tsunami. WPP tried to rebrand it to, right. but I think media palooza didn't, is didn't catch on. It didn't catch. No, no. media palooza has got a nice ring to it. It does. What has been driving that? Because you know, it's it's sort of unprecedented to have seen so many big companies review their their media buying. Mm. So there was you know like twenty billion dollars of media money on the table over the summer and it was it was unprecedented and Maurice and, and several others are predicting I think John Wren said the same thing you can you can see this continuing into 2016 as well right so I think Maurice said it's going to be kind of part two will be a bit less it will be say 15 billion of money on the table that's that's still a lot mm. um not just in monetary terms as well but pitching is a really horrible process that mm. requires late nights and it requires you to take the eye, of, eye off the ball of the accounts that actually really matter to you the most, which is your, you know, your current ones, your retained ones. Right. Uh, it's, and it's kind of, it's, it's horrible and it's bitchy. And particularly if you're trying to retain clients, uh, it, it then invokes a huge kind of level of, of distrust between client and agency. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, Supposedly, if you listen to analysts like Brian Weezer, that's one of the. Uh, so he works for Pivotal Research. Mm. That was one of the drivers. It was that there is a growing level of distrust between client and agency. Mm -hmm. So clients aren't necessarily thinking that they're getting 
the uh, the value for the money that they're spending. They're not sure. I mean, there's so, so in the US, for example, um, the Association of National Advertisers, uh, they launched a review into client agency transparency, and the two investigators leaving leading this review is a is Ubiquity, who do lots of kind of uh, media analysis, kind of fine, uh, and K two. Now K two is a firm made up of former FBI investigators. Mm-hmm. And that moves the conversation on totally. I think people are, would be very comfortable with opening their books up to ubiquity. They, clients ask them to do it all the time. Um, K2 makes you think there's something criminal going on. K2 makes you think no stone left unturned. Mm. Um, and for, you know, for another day, but the, the background of, of, of K2 and, and the, the, the people that are there, you know, they're known for getting results. They're known for right. uh, smoking guns. Uh, okay. At least the the, the uh, if you look through the past history and the com- and the companies that some of these people worked for before, uh, so they're looking into things like kickbacks and rebates, mm-hmm. uh, things that people said have not happened in the states for decades and decades. Yes, right. it might I go. Thought it, I thought it had all gone. I right. Thought, I mean, I I used to cover media when I was at Campaign Asia, and that was you know going on for ten years ago now. But it was an issue then in China. Um, and I, I suspect it's probably still an issue in, in some markets, but even then, you, it wasn't something you heard about in terms of America. Yeah, it's and that's you know that's why uh, this investigation is happening because wow. you've got huge global networks that have subsidiaries uh, in countries where uh, you know kickbacks mm-hmm. are, are commonplace. It's it, yeah. it's it's the norm. The, the media rebate is that the it's a yeah, it's the re, you know volume discount rebates re, re rates whatever whatever yeah. you want to call them wh- mm. however they're kind of packaged up on contracts. So yeah, anyway, you know clients are mm-hmm. are worried that is is my money being spent there because my agency at the end of the year is going to get ten million back or mm. and even with volume um you know with volume discounts again you're wondering is I'm just using this as an example. I'm not saying they're, they're caught up in this, but is is seventy percent of my media spend being pushed towards Yahoo, for example, mm-hmm. because they're getting better rates for you know clients by pushing my money there, mm. for their other clients by by pushing my money there because I'm a big media spender, right? Uh, so all those all those kind of things, and then you bring kind of ad tech into it and the the kind of hazy world of right. margins there. Ad it's, fraud. Well. There's ad click fraud, fraud and... click fraud. So you know is. Are my ads even being served to humans? Are they are they being served to bots? How can I tell? Mm. It's really difficult to and, and expensive actually to to monitor that kind of thing. You have to bring in third parties, you know, tags. It, it's it's a confusing, convoluted kind of um, mm. business. So that so that's kind of one of the reasons. Um, I think that review concludes in the spring, so it'll be interesting that that investigation. Sorry, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the outcome is of that. There's. You talk to some media agency folks. If you, not necessarily, if you speak at holding company level, they say it's not not a problem. If you speak to kind of some of the traders a bit further down, they're kind of worried and they're and that K two is just looking for where the bodies are buried and someone's going to get hauled up and right. there's talk of you know people could go to jail and wow. So it's it's serious stuff. Uh, it it may turn up something. It may turn up absolutely nothing. But yeah. it's it's ongoing and it's a it's a you know it's a going concern. I think also just generally the you know the macroeconomic environment is it you know it, it's been testy for a, for a couple of years. If you're a consumer packaged goods company, for example, uh, and you're trying to buy commodities, it's you know it, 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 there are turbulent markets out there, 
And unfortunately, advertising media is seen as a cost. Uh, you know, what what do you do when you're when when your margins are being are being kind of squeezed? You you try to cut out the costs. Uh, like mm. P and G is is the perfect example. They're kind of trumpeting that they're cutting agency fees by, I think it's two hundred million. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. they're you know they're cutting out agency fees and yeah. and, and saying it's a great well, achievement. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, are they are they getting value for that money? If you, if you're squeezing your agencies to the lowest common denominator, you're probably going to get lowest common denominator work. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's so there's that side of it. Fees are going right. down. A, a lot of it is just about you know getting. Uh, mm. cheaper costs. A, a lot of the reviews from some of the people that I've been speaking to have simply been, we're going there because they're cheaper, mm. uh, which is a shame because this bit, whole business used to be built on relationships and now it seems to be built on price, yeah. which is sad. And mm. I think there's just like the kind of the waterfall or domino effect. You know, if if your biggest competitor announces a media review, your CFO goes, hang on, why aren't we reviewing our media? Okay, yeah, right. we'll do it. Can't can't be seen to be being left out or you know getting, not getting good kind of bang for your buck. So there's there's it's kind of several things. I don't think there's kind of been one major catalyst, but mm. when you compound all those things together, it's it you know it, it's there's combustion kind of thing. There's, there's lots of stuff's been going on. Mm. So I think a lot of people try to pass it off as you know these just these things happen in regular cycles, but. I do think there was there were a few more reviews this time around than there were say I don't know four years ago or whatever it might be. Yeah. But other people other people disagree. But really? then you know why would we be talking about it so much? Why every week in ad week is there a new yeah. pitch win loss kind of retain yeah. story? There's there's something going on. Yeah, and do the results of these reviews do they actually address any of these issues or do they just bring in you know another big media agency um, to do the same thing? So this is the other thing. So you're not really going to see the true impact of these reviews until maybe on the holding companies, for example, until a kind of year or so down the line. Because if you're offering, if, if you're squeezing your margins as an agency so much just so that you win mm-hmm. that business and then you're taking kind of cost off elsewhere to try and to try and balance it out, that won't kind of show immediately, obviously. It will show in a, in a kind of year's time. Yeah. Right. So, and I think that's when you could see a, a huge negative impact on maybe some of these companies that want a lot of, account, of accounts, but at what price do they pay to get there? Mm. And, yeah, it, it, it might take a, a while for that to be ironed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people st- you know, chose to stay where they were. It, it, it didn't, it, oh, right. it wasn't, it, this money wasn't all kind of shifting hands between agencies. So, yeah, it's mm. it's kind of bo- really boring, kind of anodyne answer, but it's just too early to say. Yeah, fair enough. In terms of holding groups in general, of course, Seems to have been a lot of uh, a lot of restructuring. Um, obviously, publicists we've talked about uh, seems to be moves at Omnicom. We we've um, been observing their moves to restructure their public relations division and their healthcare division. And there's some suggestions that they may not stop there. They may extend to other other groups. I mean, why do you think holding companies do this kind of thing? Um, well, I think from if you look at um, I mean. Publicist is the one I've been following mm-hmm. kind of more closely than others, but you've got a, a changing environment, haven't you? You've got mm. it's it's not to be taken lightly the kind of rise of digital, the rise of mobile. Um, you know, Publicist talks a lot about kind of digital transformation, but it's not just about you know where you're plonking your media spend, and you know it used to be seventy thirty 
TV, digital, and now it's kind of 60-40 or whatever it might be. It's that whole businesses have to change. You know, banks have to completely modify their entire IT systems to make up for the fact that consumers are, you know, using mobile apps or uh, the different ways that that, that people are trading, the, the different ways that people, you know, e-commerce are rising and so on. You know, f- fraud, for example, they had to invest huge amounts when e-commerce first started kicking off because uh, credit file fraud was so rampant. So, uh, you know, it's kind of all those mm. things that, 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 that need to be changed. And so digital transformation, I think, is is, is one of the reasons business... Businesses run in a different way now than they used to. Mm. I think also uh, a lot of agency business is threatened by new digital digital companies as well. Mm. You know, yeah. the, the the obvious being, uh, you know, the likes of Facebook or Google have their own internal agencies that yeah. work with clients. That kind of, although they bring in the agency too, they kind of. Mm. They're kind of encroaching on their business a little. Yeah. Uh, like the democratization of media, the fact that I can set up a website for very little money tomorrow and mm-hmm. be a threat to uh, yeah. you know so, someone else out there. You're not so. How does that kind of media buy work? Yeah. If, if you're working with a Snapchat influencer, how yeah. does that how does that compare to when you were doing uh, you know just a, a bog standard thirty second TV ad with a celebrity kind of thing? Yeah. I think just you know there's, there's a whole ream of of reasons yeah um and you know margins aren't what they used to be it used you know back in the old days when the creative agency and the media agency were were kind of mixed you'd there'd always be that 15 percent margin or whatever it was and um that's what you'd take on the media or the 15 percent kickback or whatever it might be and it was and it was pretty it was pretty standard that that's how you made that's how you made your money now there's myriad kind of ways of of slicing and dicing it Mm. uh and as i say margins have tightened Mm, interesting um and of course one of the things that's happened as well is you're seeing snapchat and facebook and all these the digital platforms you know they have their own distribution platforms as well you know they can Mm. they they now publish articles you've got facebook instant articles as well and presumably that has some sort of impact on on media companies and, and and advertising agencies as well yeah it's i mean it's a real kind of double-edged sword as mm. as a publisher i mean you know we're mm. we're thinking about it all the time right. we, we launched recently um a sister brand called insider mm-hmm. not sure if you've seen it but it it's um it doesn't actually have a website right now it mm. sits on all of those distribution channels that you were just talking about it sits on snapchat or youtube mm. or facebook uh twitter video or whatever it might be gosh <laughs> and we're experimenting with what does that look like mm. um what does it look like? Uh, so you know, it's an experiment right now, and right. and we kind of we cross promote it on our other channels as well. So we cross promote yeah. if we've got something great from Insider that um, you know would would fit well with the Business Insider kind of style, then then yeah. we'll, we'll plonk it on there too. Um, there will probably be a website for that eventually, but again, it's just trying to think if we hone in on because the, so the problem before was that. Uh, sorry, the, you know, the ease before was that you just had your website mm. and, you know, you kind of promoted stuff and then slowly you started promoting stuff on social media mm-hmm. and there was a clear way of of kind of building your traffic in a kind of an, in an additive sense. Yeah. What's happening now is that uh, with Facebook, for example, that kind of those organic traffic referrals are, are going down. Yeah, right. Um, 
you know, our Twitter referrals aren't what they used to be because people aren't necessarily using it as much as they as they because once were. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but the thing is. You know, people are spending most of their time on, on their mobiles, for example. Mobile consum- consumption is huge. Mm. When you're on your mobile, you spend most of your time in an app. Mm. Those apps tend to be Facebook, uh, if you're young, mm. Snapchat, mm. Twitter, or kind of games. It's really rare that people have news apps. If they do, they'll have one, mm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, and that will be their go-to. So as a publisher, how on earth do I work my way in there? You've got to work with the... With, mm. with those companies. So Facebook have got instant articles, for example, where you publish direct to Facebook. Right. Um, and so the immediate concern from the publisher community was, yes. why am I handing over my audience to Facebook? Yeah. And, and what am I that... getting back from a, an advertising revenue sense? Yeah. What am I getting back from a, from a measurement point of view? But slowly people have kind of warmed the idea Facebook is... So everyone's doing it. Every, everyone's yeah. on Facebook Instant Articles. I sure. can't think of a major publisher that isn't. Right. Are they all happy with it, uh, do you think? So I think uh, immediately, you know, they, they were kind of teething problems at launch and they weren't mm. necessarily getting back the, the data that they were hoping uh, and the and the numbers weren't great. But I think Facebook admitted that was a bit of a, of a bug and it's actually improved and they're offering kind of new... Uh, you know, new new ways to kind of ensure that you've got a little bit more handle over your audience. So they're they're offering things like email signups, for example. Sounds really rudimentary, but yeah, da- data yeah. is your uh, is is kind of key. That's that's the one thing as a publisher you have over a, a rival publisher is you know your audience, and that's mm. what you sell on. So yeah, obviously that was point. that was the fear. If you go out and you kind of um, dilute your brand through these other channels, what what have you got left? But oh, I think people are, yeah, people are warming to, to Facebook instant articles, obviously. And then there's the kind of, there's a revenue share thing as well. So do I, if, if Facebook are selling the ads, then I get, uh, you know, 70% if I'm selling, you know, all, all these kind of things that you have to kind of iron out. Um, I, I think the other, the other problem, so you've got, you know, Apple news, you've got Google amp and you know, I can yeah, talk Apple to all, news, of, all yeah. of those things. But mm. so the issue is that you've got to spend more time doing more things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it used to, it used to wind me up when I used to work for, for a print magazine, for example, that on press day we would spend all day mm-hmm. doing this kind of, uh, you know, sorting out this kind of analogue process of sending stuff to subs and sending it back. And it took, <laughs> off, took up so much time that, oh, uh, you, you know, all, all the stuff that was going on, <laughs> on uh, you know, that day online, you were kind of missing it because you were distracted looking, you know, organising yourself. With it. So, and that was just organising you know, two formats. That was just a website yeah. and a magazine. That's all I had to think about. Whereas now you've got to think about, so what's my Snapchat strategy? Yeah. Because I can't just put my videos on there uh, kind of wholesale because they've got to be vertical videos. They've got okay. to be a certain length. Yeah. Uh, I've, I probably should use the filters and all of those kind of things to make it kind of well. authentic. Um, and it, yeah, again, if you're, if you're on Snapchat Discover, you're publishing stuff direct to Snapchat Discover. So that's another right. distribution channel. And that's for all of them. I mean, really, so you've got yeah. that question... So it's just dizzying. It's it's dizzying. Di- and if you're right. a kind of medium-sized publisher, so it's yeah, kind of a, right. if you're a, 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 you know, a Time Inc or a Business Insider yeah. or a New York Times, you've probably got enough people to be able to mm-hmm. look after all that stuff. But if you're a medium-sized niche tech publisher or whatever it might be, or, you, know, yeah. you, you write about 
Windows PCs or whatever it might be. Yeah. You haven't got enough time to do all that. But at the yeah, same no, time, it's... you're you've got an ad block. You've probably got a really high penetration of ad blockers coming to your site because they're techies. Yeah. Uh, and there's all these distribution channels that you necessarily haven't necessarily got access to to grow your audience to get your stuff out there. Wow. Um, so it's you know it's it's hard, but at the same time, it's really exciting as well because if you can get in there first and you can really nail it. Mm. You get incredible results. So, do you think anyone has? Um, I think there's kind of like moments of brilliance. Mm. So, so for example, so Facebook recently just launched live video. Mm. Uh, so they, they've yeah, had this for like, a while for like, like their Periscope style yeah, of product, right. right? So and so the funny thing is, so right now the algorithm is really favouring live video. So for oh, if you remember. Okay. Say last year, um, maybe a little bit the year before, it was really favouring just video. So you yeah. just see video, 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 and you feet, and you that. still do. Yeah, it's all autoplay video. It, it mm. rounds up their views. <laughs> so now it's it's favouring live video because that's kind of new. Mm. Uh, also, they say that live video uh, consumers stay on there for longer. Mm-hmm. I guess because there's that fear of missing out kind of thing. Like I could come back to a, a you know an old video, I'll find that eventually. But if it's live, I need to watch it now and share it and tell people about it. So. CNBC, for example, did a, and it was I think it was CNBC or CNN, but it was it was really rudimentary. It was just like you know someone was holding up a phone and they were talking about the the stories of the day, but obviously it got amazing reach mm. and huge interactions because the algorithm is favouring it. They're doing well, so if, if you can kind of if you can get it really quickly, it it works. But you've also got you've got the problem of being kind of authentic as well. So it's all very well jumping on to Snapchat Discover, but as I mean, Yahoo News found out, for example, they they went straight on to Snapchat Discover. Katie Keurig, their their huge, kind of very um mm-hmm. well compensated news presenter, was fronting all their kind of videos and stuff. But kids didn't watch it. No it it, mm. it, it did terribly. Uh yeah, the Wall so you, Street Journal's on there, for example. Yeah. Why why do Snapchat users yeah. want to read the Wall Street Journal? I'm not not entirely sure. Right. So you've got to be discerning as well and make the yeah. right decision. And I think what you often see with these, with, whenever there's a new platform, is there's a rush towards it from everyone, especially the, amongst the big yeah. publishers, um, when maybe they, they would benefit from thinking about it a little bit first in terms of, of their audience and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but as you said, it's really hard. It's really difficult. And I suspect a lot of them don't necessarily have always have the the people in house and the talent that that can make those decisions you know in an in a kind of authoritative way for every single platform definitely there was um bloomberg did a great uh snapchat kind of long read today mm. and they talked to kind of several ad buyers and they were saying um one, one of these kind of media agency execs was saying i have i don't understand anything that so snapchat came in to kind of teach them this is how you snapchat kind of thing and they came out of it going, I don't have a clue what they're on about. I still don't know how to use this thing, but my daughter's on it. Yeah. And right. I know that I have to be there. Yeah. And if you watch, kid, like we had um, an 18-year-old intern working with us for a little while. Yeah. And he was sending, so you get kind of like Snapchat karma, it's called. I think it's, oh God, I might be really embarrassing myself as an old now because so I probably I, got it completely I wrong. I don't even talk about Snapchat. I just, so I you, just, I will just embarrass myself. So. <laughs> so basically you have like a number next to your profile and it's kind right. of, it's I made up of a, a, num- profile, a number but... of things, but it just never gets used, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tried to use it. I tried to use it at Davos and then kind of kept forgetting. It's, it's like all these beautiful things that I could take pictures of. But yeah. Then I, I don't know. There's just, I mean, 
So this is it's kind of a separate conversation. And I, I, I wonder, you know, I'm not probably, I'm just probably not the right demographic for Snapchat by this point, but there are a lot of platforms now. And once you're kind of done with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, which seem to be the three kind of standard ones, there's not a lot of time left in the day for, for much beyond that. You kind of have to start with Snapchat, I feel. Um, and it has to sort of replace what you're doing rather than add to, to yeah. existing platforms. And so, so therein kind of lies the problem. So you mm. can't, you can't really afford to throw all your eggs in one basket because, mm. as Facebook showed with publishers before, one slight algorithm change, one, you know, and and your right. business could be turned upside down. It happened with Upworthy, right? So Upworthy worked out that um, the kind of Upworthy style headlines, headline, that, you know, you yeah. never guess what happened next. <laughs> oh, oh my God, yeah, wait yeah. till you see number thirteen, that kind of yeah. thing, worked incredibly well on Facebook, and it got lots of interactions, and, and the then, algorithm was rewarding it. And then after a while, Facebook's engineers were going, "Hold on a second, we can't just keep having this like filthy, horrid <laughs> kind of content littering the feed. It's, yeah. you know, it's it's bringing down the quality of the site." So they then in turn, they started, they started punishing those those kind of clickbaity headlines. And hmm. you looked at Upworthy's traffic and, you know, from month from month uh, when they enacted that update and it just fell off a cliff. Oh, poor and, Upworthy. You know, but that's what I mean. So they, so they, they engineered just for that, yeah. you know, just for that one uh, distribution platform and uh, it slapped them in the face. So that's the problem. Mm. You kind of need to ha- bear, have all these platforms in mind and you need to be there, but... You're right. If you kind of over-index on one, mm. you're you you know you're running a real risk, and you've still got your website to think about. You've still got your app. Well, maybe you not, know. right? If if, if insider yeah. is is the future, I mean, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I've even heard heard brands talking about this. Maybe they don't need, um, maybe they don't need to have their own website if if there's no uh, direct kind of e-commerce benefit. And even then, you could probably sell stuff. Well, elsewhere. that's it. As I say, as when more consumption is kind of shifting to, to mobile and you spend most of your right. time in about three or four apps on mobile, mm. yeah, do you really need a website? Yeah. Most, most so influencers or, you know, YouTube stars, and they don't have websites. They no. might have their kind of, you know, cheap landing page yeah, yeah. or like Contact a free one us. they got yeah, from yeah, Tumblr right. or something. But, yeah. you know, it's it's not kind of the be all and end all now, but We've invested so much time and uh, you know backend infrastructure, created our own CMSs. Um, I mean, there's still there's there's still obviously an impeccable amount of value. Like we, you know, these sites do turn over, yeah, yeah, you know, lots of revenue. It's, mm. it's no mistaking that. But yes. there's just there's just all these other platforms you need yeah. to think about constantly. The apocalypse is not quite here yet. No. Um, Lara, really good talking to you. I feel like we could go on um, for quite a while talking about digital media. So it would be great to have you come back and visit the Echo Chamber again. Um, We didn't actually talk about your quite hilarious uh, Tinder project in Davos. That probably sounds a lot more suspicious than it actually was. Should I just say what it was really quickly? Yeah, go on. Because otherwise, yeah. Forever I'll be tarnished by my Tinder project. Okay, that's fair. So I've just been to lot, lots of events uh, you know, all around the world and it's always quite interesting to fire up Tinder and see if there are people from those events there. But what usually happens if you go to Barcelona or something like that, you'll have you know, lots of tourists, locals, holiday goers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the World Economic Forum, uh, Davos is on lockdown for you know, however many days a week when it's on. Mm. So you were pretty sure if you set the proximity to a kilometre that most of the people 
uh, on Tinder, showing up on Tinder would be, uh, you know, you know WEF and... attendees. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, it was. And you saw lots of bankers, CEOs, wow. uh, <laughs> lots of, you know, people from universities, from, from all around the world, mm. some skiers as well. Uh, and it was just interesting just to chat to these people and ask what they were up to because one assumes that when you're at an event like WEF, you're, you know, you run off your feet. You don't have time to do yeah. this kind of thing. Actually, you know, at, at night time, once the event closes, it yeah. people are, are bored and looking for company. Yeah, even the 1% gets lonely. Yeah, I mean, and it's, there's no there's there's no shame in it. There no. was, uh, I had a, a few kind of angry uh Really? People on Twitter, you know, mm. say, saying, you know, surprise, surprise, Lara, uh, you know, rich people like mm. dating and sex too. And it's just like, I wasn't saying that at all. I'm just saying it was an interesting experiment to see what people Absolutely. were up to on yeah. a, a new, exciting app. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, nobody was, uh, you know, nobody was too forward. Nobody mm. was rude. Uh, there were a couple of people when I didn't reply, kind of, I think they blocked me or, or deleted me. Or when I said I'm a journalist, I'm researching uh, <laughs> this article about Davos Tinder, they kind of slowly disappeared. But right. yeah. uh, it was just a, a fun experience in between, you know, a lot of the kind of lengthy conversations about the world economy. It's kind of nice to have a, a, yeah. a, a light-hearted story in the mix as well yeah definitely a different take on the mood at davos lara thank you so much uh, we will hopefully have you back on in the not too distant future uh thank you all for listening you can catch uh, the echo chamber pr show on itunes uh on our homes report podcast feed homesreport.com snapchat <laughs> yeah not quite maybe maybe at some point um if you could uh, rate and review us on iTunes, that would be fantastic. You can get in touch with me. I think um, you'll find my contact details on the website. You can probably get in touch with Lara as well if you want to on Twitter. Uh, don't pitch her too much, hopefully. <laughs> um, thank you, Lara. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 